Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. This is episode number 75. Episode number 75, everybody. And our last episode of the year 2016. My name is Paul Riesmandel. Hello, Paul. How are you today? I'm well. What's your name? My name is Eric Klein, and it is uh, slushy in Portland. It snowed. And so I'm I'm almost out of my mind. And then it turned into slush. Yeah. And, and joining us uh, via Skype from San Francisco is Jennifer Waits. Yes, there's no snow here, no. but it's gray. And lucky, luckily for both of you, uh, the heavy construction equipment from the entire week is gone. So you don't are you don't have to hear the sounds of jackhammers. San Francisco always under construction these days. Portland yes. too. You should yeah. see the high rises going up uh, around Paul's neighborhood. Yeah, it's sort of crazy around here. And uh, on today's show, we're going to, it's a bit of a retrospective. Um, we're going to look back at 2016. As, as some things. is appropriate in the month of December, yep. we're, we're, we're contemplative. We're, th- we're thinking about what we've been through. And thinking ahead a little bit as well. Uh, and uh, s- sort of sharing what we thought were some standout moments for, for both in the show and, and I think for radio in general, uh, be it podcasting, yeah. uh, internet radio. That's what the show is about. It's what it's all about. So that's what we're going to do because we sit here right um, now more than a year and a half into doing the show, although we've taken some weeks off. So that's why we uh, you know, were at 75 as opposed to something closer to 104. Uh-huh. I'm going to let you do the math this yeah, week. Yeah, but, you know, you always let me do the math. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's also an opportunity to sort of think a little bit about the show. Not too much. We don't want this to become too, too navel-gazing. But, uh, you know, it's good to gaze at your navel. Yeah, but the there, here year. it comes. Just let let it let it go, Paul. You're about to... I'm going to... Paul warned me before I, we recorded it. I have a bone to comes. pick with you, Mr. Klein. Let's hear it. Oh, no. So so last week's show, of course... Anarchy versus order in community radio. Yeah. So... so to you know, pull back the curtain a little bit. Eric and I tag team. We we pass back and forth duties on editing the show. The hardest part of doing the edit is t- is coming up with the title. It always you do all of this work and then you realize, oh no, yeah. I have to label this show something, and I have to do it now so that I can be finished. And generally speaking, I think Eric is better at that than I am. Well, that's so kind of you. Um, <laughs> but you have to come with a description, right? And it's often hard to encapsulate in a few sentences what goes on and make it not just some weird bullet point list. I spent a few years filling notebooks up full of, full of poetry. Okay. And I never shared it with anybody. I didn't feel like I... Uh, but it we wasn't, benefit. It wasn't poems for publishing. It was poems to pass the time. Yeah. And I think that really helped uh, loosen my tongue. Yeah, absolutely. Wordsmithing. Uh, but I, I'm bo- I'm picking a bone on the title, <laughs> Radio Anarchy, Anarchy versus Order. Versus Order. For so uh, for those who may not have heard or you don't remember, uh, the previous show number seventy four, uh, we had sort of a study in contrast. Uh, Jennifer shared the tour of this uh, un- anarchic. Anarchic, I think maybe. She, okay, so Jennifer used the word anarchy to okay. describe the station. So, so going with Jennifer's. So let me embrace that. Which yeah. I don't even. I don't even remember that. Did I really say that? Yes, you did. And I, I I'm gonna before Paul. But let's say what the steps, station is. Oh yes, so of people course. understand it. Kachung, so, Kachungs, which is a unlicensed low power AM radio station filled with artists filled with artists operating from uh is is it Chinatown now in in Los Angeles yeah it's, uh, in it's an urban station above a Vietnamese restaurant kind of out of the way and it's 
run unlike any yeah. station we've ever the, heard. Our of. favorite part was uh, forty station managers. Yeah, forty. Yes, but they 40 do have. Counting. They do, but they do have a general manager. Oh, oh, that's a little less anarchic, right? Then, and <laughs> yeah. So my bone to pick is that we talked about that, and then we talked about. Uh, a couple of pieces I've written recently for Radio Survivor, which talk about my recommendations to stations that have more of a patchwork schedule to pick drive times uh, and to make those a little more consistent day to day. Yeah, which I which I took to mean that uh, people who have the power to make decisions at the stations should wield that power. Yeah, and and embrace sort of a public service model for those parts of the air of the airtime, as opposed to being strictly kind of public access. Meaning, whoever can show up and and fill that spot will, and maybe right. what kind of programming it is if it's not an afterthought but it may be the second most important consideration we tend to get the the model that you're criticizing tends to uh bubble up from just uh whoever is around and what radio they want to make we give them a half an hour or an hour in the schedule and often that persists for years if not decades making it difficult for a schedule to adjust to people's listening habits and changes in the overall kind of media ecosystem yeah. So the reason why I'm picking a bone with Let's you do it. is because I, I think that it is not about radio anarchy versus order. No. Right. Because, uh, you know, so and I know that, that you you are politically astute and you realize that anarchy does not equal chaos. I'm but celebrating. So yeah. In common parlance, people think they, they will use the word it's anarchy to mean it's chaotic or disordered. Anarchy is like the end of the it's like a it's walking dead the end of the world that right. no one's in charge and and no one's no one's safe and and that's not really yeah. what and if i and if i said it was anarchistic i would have to apologize to <laughs> i need to listen to I don't what think i you're said wrong. because i don't well and i don't i i think that a station can be functioning quite well um, with a different structure, and it yes. doesn't necessarily and mean I, it's. I think anarchy total means anarchy. lots of meetings. Well, lots of agreement, lots of consensus. And I don't disagree, Jennifer, that this may be, in fact, an anarchistic station. It's taken from the standpoint of anarchistic is means without government. Okay, right? wait. So you're just mad at the word well, anarchy's I'm, 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 reputation? You're. Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, well, it's a non it's a non hierarchical structure right. and, and, rather and, than, exactly. than anarchy. So, my what um, I what I it's the it's the it's the polarization here of anarchy versus <laughs> order. The implication yeah. that anarchy would be disordered, and therefore the opposition or the tension is order. I suspect you could have a non hierarchically organized station governance. I'm sorry, we're really dragging this into the weeds now. No, I love it. I, I think that you could have a non-hierarchically organized station governance that could be organized flat with committees or groups that share airtime and figure things out and still end up with an air schedule right. Order. that looks orderly okay. and is consistent. So what what was so it's not you're not you're you're not picking bones because I chose the word anarchy. It's versus that versus it's versus order. order. So what? So uh, let's let's uh, workshop this. What should it have been titled? You know, I you know that's can, interesting. Can I still use the word anarchy? Can we keep the word anarchy and come up with a different word? 
Because we did have a show of contrasts. Right. So what's the contrast? Well, yeah, it, that, that's a wonderful question. Jennifer, do you, can you answer that? <laughs> Watch me pass the buck. Uh, well, and I mean, not to like pile on here, but I think I think I ended up not sharing that because of the title, Ooh. because I was I was a little bit worried that that the title made it seem like um, K Chung was being described as anarchy and something else was being described as order. And that sort of made me uncomfortable even looping back with them and sharing the article. So, um, so yeah, I, I can get, I get the criticism and I'm, I don't have a better title off the tip of my yeah, tongue. It, it's tough to capture that, you know, and, and I, I start playing it in my head and I'm, and I go, I go, how many managers do you need? <laughs> which I think would be a funny title. It doesn't quite capture the second part of the conversation, but I don't know if you have to either like in a podcast. I mean, that's a whole nother philosophical argument. I don't want to go down is, is you right. know, are, do you try to capture the entirety of a show? I try to yeah. in many, in, in, in many, because in many cases people just take a funny quote or something in the name of the show, or they pick out who the, the um, you know, the predominant interview was. And I think we could have said like, K Chung was the feature and we could have just simply used it in the, in the title, but we could have, you know, and, and, or you could have been super descriptive, right. As opposed to poetic or, or literative or something. Yeah. Kachung is an amazing station. Aw, let me, shucks. Let me put it. I knew it, it was a silly title, but I also thought, you know, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> I'm come sorry, up with I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. And I think so. <laughs> I'll be back on the air. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I don't think that anarchy, so for me, I don't think anarchy is remotely pejorative. But anyway, um, I'm aware that other people use it as, as a pejorative, pejorative, and I'm aware that it would be uh, a sum that the assumption upon seeing it anywhere on the internet would be that it was being used as a pejorative. But uh, if we, if, yeah, but, uh, if, but if, if, if we're af- to that episode, if we're afraid to share the episode, then yeah. we're really not doing a service there to to Chung or to ourselves. Yeah, but if you listen to the episode, exactly. Uh, it becomes obvious immediately how much we love K. But that's Chung's the problem, anarchy. right? I mean, and this is a, this is sort of a conversation we were having off mic before we started. Yeah, right? now this is relevant. Uh, you know, it's very relevant in that, unfortunately, right now in in online media, the, uh, people are really judging things by the by their cover, by the headline, and yeah. maybe the whatever the the the, the short summary that might show up on someone's uh, Facebook news feed or exactly. might show up on Twitter. Sometimes we have our, our um, site set up to give you that little summary on Twitter. And, uh, and, and if that, you know, and so on the one hand it gets exploited, right? There are people who, you know, there, there are nefarious uh, fake news uh, providers who uh, do click bitty, click baity titles and subjects, right? Uh, and and other sites, which may be not fake news, but also sort of not with uh, the common good in mind, who, uh, you know, write titles that are misleading in terms of what's going to be there. But on the other hand, if we're just simply imprecise, because sometimes, you know, we are, <laughs> uh, we also risk either, you know, creating a debate we don't want to create, or we, you know, people simply don't don't click through and they don't end up reading what's there because uh, the title isn't captured them and that's all they see. They're not really sure they want to get to it. Okay, I'm convinced. I want to retitle this ep- uh, episode 74 and just retitle it uh, K Chung is a wonderful radio station. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. Well, we don't need to pander either. Yeah, I don't know if that's I mean, I'm not sure that that would draw people either. Like, you know, why why is it interesting? And anything like K-Chung Radio has 40 has 40 station managers. It's kind of a f- it's. I mean, it's fantastic. I think that is great. Yeah. I what think this is a wonderful as the, quality. As the billboard clip, uh, the billboard well, clip and, was. And to, and to be more precise, the station manager role there is different than at other stations. Of course, it's more like uh, you know. But you need to click through to, to to you need to click through to understand that, right? Oh uh, yeah. Meet true. meet the minister of transparency at Los Angeles's uh, hippest. Underground radio station. Yeah, there you go. K- yeah, that's I mean, right. I, I think that that's right. K Chung is 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 like I'm trying to think like Buzzfeed. Like, in some ways, it's almost like Los Angeles's only underground station that we know of, right? Or one of you know is like you know LA's uh, you know <laughs> station or static. LA's K Chung <laughs> is underground station or because static. It's, it, I mean yeah. exactly that's what we're, we're totally pulling back the curtain now. So I hope we're, we've retained listeners through this discussion. But yeah, <laughs> because it's they, they. I mean the one of the station managers she said that explicitly yeah. that it's kind of cool how she doesn't know if it's um if, yeah. if that's what oh, I yeah. think that's I think that's our subject not to uh, yeah I love that title yeah not well, to pat I'll, myself on the I back and should, yeah. break my arm station or static. We'll just put like way down at the bottom the this this uh this blog post or this this episode is previously titled Anarchy versus yeah, absolutely. Order. We yeah, regret we, the air. Full transparency. We, we regret, regret the, the air. Air Klein <laughs> uh, regrets the air. It's right. kind of like um my my sister is a bit sassier than her husband, and so sometimes she'll buy somebody a birthday card that's kind of sassy uh-huh. and she'll write on the bottom that her husband refused to sign this card. <laughs> So it's sort of like that, like not uh, not fully authorized by the entire team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think we got that out of the way. Uh, it right. took us like 13 minutes uh, to, but to it, accomplish that. But it overlaps with what the purpose of today's podcast is, which is to, to you know, to to have a long view about the work that we're doing. Yeah. And, and, to, and a long view on radio yeah. and, and in as many forms. Right. I think so. I think that's right. And I, and I realize that there are a lot of people who are basically saying F 2016. And believe me, I do understand that sentiment for all sorts of reasons. But I think, you know, and, and, and some of the news we have to share or some of the highlights in a way, or shall we, if not even highlight things that stand out, aren't not everything is happy. There's there's some there's some uh, less happy stuff in all of this, but there's also I think there's some some happy stuff to balance it out um, when we when we talk about what's happened in podcasting and uh, radio and internet radio and and the such. Uh, so Eric, can I throw to you? What's one of the sure. first things you, you uh, from 2016 that stands out? Well, I'm so happy that we have begun an ongoing conversation with Sylvia Thomas who, uh, listeners may remember, traveled the world visiting dozens upon dozens of community radio stations in multiple foreign countries. And uh, she did this as part of a grant that did not require her to uh, produce any sort of written or audio content when she was done. But she, as a radio person, uh, gathered a whole lot of tape and gathered a whole lot of stories. And so she joined us for an episode recently uh, to sort of lay out the, the, the broad strokes of what she had done and what she had learned. And, but uh, that year of community radio that, that she lived um, 
is a well that we're going to be going back to again and again in 2017. And I'm so excited. And I think that Sylvia is going to also be connecting us with more people so that not only are we going to be able to look back to her year of traveling, but I think she'll be able to connect us to a present tense of World Community Radio, which I also know was a goal that we have talked about before we met Sylvia. I also know it's something that Matthew Lassar, radio survivor, editor, and contributor, uh, loves to to think about and to to learn about. So, so more community radio around the world is coming is coming to this podcast in 2017, and that that is something that we started in 2016. And so I'm look back and look forward and diversifying the voices that you hear at least on this podcast. Yeah, and gosh, and be, and like not just the voices but uh when you when you know for instance Sylvia Thomas t- uh, told us a little bit about uh community radio stations in Bolivia and how they were organized and how the people who ran those stations or worked at those stations approached the the team, you know, the collectivism of it all. Uh and I think that there's there's so much that we can learn from that uh, there's there's more than one way to run a radio station. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, as a topic that we've been taking up here. Jennifer, what what's what sort of sort of top of your list for 2016? I mean, in a in a similar vein, um, this year was really inspiring. I I visited a lot of radio stations this year, and I I reached my the epic 100th radio station tour post. Um. And just meeting people in all these different communities. I mean, every year it's amazing. Um, But there was something particularly special about 2016. And and part of that, I think, had to do with getting the opportunity to visit some new low-power FM stations that were just getting on the air. And, And that just energized me to see the passion and the excitement for radio and and to witness brand new stations, which is something that we don't often get the opportunity to see. So it, with the 2013 low power FM application window, um, it's the aftermath. The positive aftermath of that has been incredible. So I feel really lucky that I got to tour a number of these brand new stations and and go to the grassroots radio conference in Hot Springs, Arkansas, in October, where. All of that energy was kind of bundled up in one place. Um, And so for me, that was definitely a high point, a highlight of the year. Um, And on that same trip, I met people in college radio who I think I'm going to stay in touch with for a long time. So just meeting, getting, you know, sort of building up my community of radio and and Erica talked about when we were we were looking at my 100 station tours that we were kind of looking at the map and there were parts of the country that I'd never been to, so it was exciting to branch out and go to places like Arkansas and and hopefully in 2017 uh, I will get to continue with that to see stations in places that I've never been to before, um, you know, because there are exciting things happening in these communities all over the country. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a wonderful aspect of 2016 is this flowering of community radio to an extent never before seen in the United States 
And probably, I'm going to make this without having done my research, but I make a proclamation, but it's probably the biggest flowering of community radio ever, simply because of the size of the United States and other nations of a similar size simply don't have uh, that's anything proportionally the same in terms of the flowering of community radio. One place where it might eventually happen is India, which is, which is by population still uh, like about three times the size of the United States and, and is now just beginning to see the establishment of community radio. So we might eventually see a community radio establishment there that exceeds what we have here in the United States. But it, it is arguable that probably we're seeing here the single greatest flowering of community radio in history, period, at this very moment. And it's it flies under the radar because I think that individually – um, many people in various communities, they find out about news stations going on the air. And often they find out in their local newspapers, their local television stations give this sort of coverage. And they'll and, and probably as, a, as an aside or as a setup, they may say, and this is part of a movement that's sort of taking place everywhere. And I have not, for the most part, yeah. read – I've read very little uh, outside of maybe uh, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters uh, publishing some things um, – anyone sort of doing that count and coming back and saying, no, not only is it, yes, we, we talk about hundreds and hundreds of stations, but really putting it in perspective of, of perhaps the greatest democratic movement in broadcast communications ever is happening right now and coming to fruition. And Jennifer, you're, you're observing it firsthand all over the country. And I think we, we really should put that in big neon lights. That's the title of today's episode. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed, that was episode number 68, Jennifer, where you, uh, we, we called that episode the report back from the grassroots radio conference. But for me, um, and that was only two months ago, but you had, um, you sort of stumbled upon three interviews uh, that we aired on that episode with individuals who were brand new volunteers at uh, the Arkansas Hot Springs. The town is called Hot Springs, Arkansas, and the community radio station there. And each one of them in this small town at this small brand new radio station were so uh, concise and eloquent about what having a radio show meant to them and what why why it mattered. And and it was such an amazing uh just a tiny little collection of of um why it matters and it it really uh i'm convinced i'm convinced that every low power fm station can uh, uh is 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 the most valuable thing in that community if if three people feel that way about it three out of the yeah. dozens no it's i mean it's amazing every interview at KUHS was like that where i was just kind of blown away um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's the case at, at every station, you know, people talking about how the station changed their life yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, it's, that's a pretty, it's a pretty new low power FM station. Um, so it's amazing the impact that community radio, college radio, high school radio can have on participants who are brand new. Um, it's, it's really transformative so I, I love being witness to that. Uh, I love evangelizing and spreading the word about that. And I'm a believer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Indeed. So, Eric, what's your what's your? Oh, it's my turn thing? again. I just did all the LPFM so was at the top of my list as well. Yeah. So you know, I just I just uh, jumped on the uh, on the back of the train that uh, that Jennifer was driving. Well, I'm going to um, uh, I'll bring up public access versus public service, which was the topic of yester yester week's podcast yes, number seventy four. The, the the previously titled podcast. Um, I just think that that's. That we could do, we could do an interview with a different uh, person in community radio uh, once a week for every week of 2017, and and only broaden the conversation and never and, run and, out and, of things. And can, to say. can you can you summarize what yeah. what that so that that sort of dialectic is? And I think well, okay, so public access, as you called it, which I I, I agree with both, so I'm just going to adopt them as my own now. Public access is the idea that um, everybody out there in the in the community uh, should have there's an open door policy at a community radio station where where those people out there are welcome to come in here to the radio station and uh, get trained and make radio and that's um, an extremely valuable um, uh, a value that all community radio stations hold that makes them different than public radio stations or commercial radio stations. You know, at a commercial radio station and at many public radio stations, you have to apply for the job. You have to you have to submit a resume to be allowed through the doors to get on the air. And that's what makes community radio better in my opinion is that is that there's not the the, the bar is not set so high that 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 certain people can never achieve it. Um that being said, uh, if if you let the if you open the doors to everybody, uh, you, as we discussed on last week's episode, um, you sort of are limiting what goes on the air. And I'm not going to get into or, or really if you if you allow that to be if it's not so much that you allow that you open doors to everybody, but that you limit what you do only to those who happen to wander through the doors yeah. and design your programming around. Their needs and availability is yeah. kind of, I think, the way I it would put it. It tends to privilege certain uh, certain characters sometimes at radio stations that I'm familiar with, and uh, and, and often certain groups defined by yeah. culture, defined by socioeconomic status. I think as well. So uh, the the opposite. and there's always a gate and there's always a gatekeeper even at a public yeah, access absolutely. type right. radio station. So whoever that gatekeeper is, you know, whenever they're Ingoing assumptions, right? You know, philosophies are that has a big impact on the schedule too. Yeah, they can sort of hide behind. Well, everybody's welcome to come in, but there are certain barriers that that you don't actually uh, that you don't actually know explicitly what those barriers are until you try to be one of those people to 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 get into the station and to start doing work. Uh, and so, the opposite side of the coin, as Paul described it. Uh, in last week's episode, in his essays that he published, was this public service model, which I think was more of a listener-centric idea mm-hmm. that you think about what goes out on the radio um, as it benefits the listeners. Blah blah blah. And, and looking to and being very specific, so rather than saying like your uh, adult contemporary hit station, which just wants to maximize its listenership, instead of saying we want the maximum number, to look and say, well, who are we actually trying to serve? Yeah. Who needs the information and the culture that we're sharing? And are they able to access it? Do they know it's there? And it is is it in a form that makes it accessible to them? 
taking into account the fact that they otherwise may be unfamiliar with your station, unfamiliar with community radio, and may not understand how it happens. The, the reason I bring this topic up uh, two weeks in a row is not so that the three of us can talk about it again. It's to sort of emphasize the fact that I feel energized that these are this is a framework for thinking about community radio that is endlessly fascinating and that we can open this conversation up to uh, a whole lot of other people in the coming year. So there's so. a there's a comment that you made, Jennifer, talking about all the people you've had a chance to meet uh, this year in particular at these different stations who say something along the lines of, you know, the station changed my life, right? And these people I think you're talking to, am I correct, are mostly broadcasters, right, or people who are volunteers at the station. Is, is, is that correct? Yeah, when I'm talking about that specific right. comment, yeah. Yeah, and that's great. And I think that that is an experience that I share, of course. Um, I think, Eric, you've shared it, and that many, many people listening to the show have shared this experience of being involved in community radio changed your life, and it certainly did for me. And what we, what I'm going to put out as a challenge that we should aspire to is that we should have listeners who say the same thing that it need not be a requirement necessarily that you be a volunteer or that you be a programmer in a community radio station to feel that way. And look, I have talked to listeners who, you know, of stations, both ones I've been at and ones I haven't been at, who never went on the air, never, and never really wanted to, right? But, or content and very happy listeners who have said, for all intents and purposes, this station changed my life, listening to it, the information, etc. So I'm not saying that this does not exist or doesn't happen. But I think that the challenge then is for stations to think, uh, how do we know this is happening? Is it happening? How do we know it? And are we changing the lives of the people who really need the change? And what is that change? Right. And to really think through that cycle, that to make sure that not only is it their great benefit happening to the programmers and for the community that develops around that, that, that set of people, which, of course, at a community radio station is much larger than it is at any other type of station, save a college station. Um, is that also happening do you have listeners? Are you having that kind of effect on your community? Are lives being changed? And can you know it? Is there a way to know it? And how is that? And I think that, that that's, that's essentially what is that tension between public access where, you know, many ways, yes, we are changing the life of people who come in and we are certainly affecting the listeners, but are we really focusing on listeners? Not for, not for the maximization of, 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 of ratings and audience, not, you know, to the, the point at which we, we hum overly homogenize and we pick some narrow audience segment to super serve. But are we really reaching the people who we feel are most needing this sort of free, highly, highly democratized, open kind of communication path? And I think that's what's behind that. So uh, thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit more. I'm sorry, because I'll come. Wait, let Jennifer go thing. again. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, and I, I think, I feel like I have heard comments from listeners that stations have changed their lives and that particular DJs and programs and, and I come at things from like my own personal radio experience is at underground music focused stations and people who have 
that sort of taste in music, I think they find that sense of community through these stations and, and those stations can change their lives, can save their lives. And, you know, particularly in the days before you had the internet, I remember being a DJ at WBGU in Bowling Green, Ohio, which is at Bowling Green State University. And it's like a small town in Ohio, conservative town. And there were definitely young people, like teenagers, kids, high school students who would call in and talk about how they learned about music from that station and how it really gave them a glimpse into something and gave them a community that they weren't finding in their own physical community. So I think radio really does have that power. Absolutely. I think it does. I think my only uh, urgence here is that stations be sure that they're using it that power and that they're making sure to affect it rather than assuming that they do so simply because they've opened the doors. Um, yeah. You know, and, that, and, and it's subtle in some ways, but I think that's the, uh, the, the underlying. I don't, I'm not saying that, that a station that has, you know, any particular type of schedule, any particular type of programming is not changing people's lives. So much is to say that by putting a focus on it and really putting it up front, it actually does change how you do what you do. And, and it, and I think for the better for your community one, and it will be better for your station because you will grow audience. (laughs) Absolutely. If you focus on that, you will grow audience. I think amongst the people who most need what you do, and that will be a larger group of sustainers, people who are there to support and sustain your station. I I do. I do think we should move on with this episode, but I, but I I just want to underline that in 2017, that, uh, talking to to people at stations about how they are thinking about that topic is really, yeah. There's because clearly, clearly we could just continue this. We can keep talking about yeah, this. Absolutely, it's it's a good topic for for a podcast. And so, Jennifer, uh, next on your list, I know is uh, is is we've got some sadness, unfortunately, to to talk about. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard for me to not talk about. What happened this week in Oakland, there was, as, as probably, I mean, this became national news, so probably our listeners are well aware that there was a big fire at a warehouse in Oakland during an underground music show that the first weekend in December, and 36 people were killed in, in this horrible fire, and for me living in San Francisco and being part of the music community, the radio community, um, I've never experienced anything like this before where so many friends of friends were killed Mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, and so a lot of my friends are grieving. Um, and as the days go by, we learn more and more about who died in the fire and, Um, we found out a few days ago that there were four volunteers from the UC Berkeley station, KALX, who, who were killed, which is horrible. Um, and, and all of it just cuts really close to home because, um, people at KFJC where I DJ, you know, we could have easily been there. We go to similar shows, um, 
so it, it it's very it's very sad for the community and you know the people in attendance represented people who were part of there were musicians there visual artists students filmmakers a wide variety of people and um people who were connected with a variety of my friends it, it wasn't just from one community um so the underground arts community in the San Francisco Bay Area and and really all over the world um, has all of these interesting connections and you know yeah. there were a lot of radio connections that and I'm still going to find radio connections in the weeks to come but uh, as you might expect um, I found out about people who were former college radio DJs who died in the fire former high school radio DJs um, somebody who had had a radio career at a number of stations. Um, there was an artist who had performed on KFJC and has, and is friends with a bunch of KFJC people who was there. Um, so it's a, I think, you know, so when some people hear about this, um, they might not realize how, how a huge tragedy like this affects the broader arts community. Um, and it really is in a big way. And, and a lot of these people had, very, they were very talented artists and had bright futures, you know, bright presence already. Um, and it's, it, it's just devastating. Um, and it also cuts close to home because a lot of us, you know, go to see shows in interesting spaces that, you know, might not be the safest places. Um, and, you know, I've talked to other friends in radio who've said that they would, you know, continue to, to take risks to see music and, and art, you know, because sometimes that's where it's being performed is in a place that is, you know, a bit under the radar. So, so, you know, it's a sad, it's a sad end to me for the year. Um, very, very sad to lose all of these amazing folks. Um, so I just wanted to make sure to, to mention that on the podcast right. and, and to draw the connections with the radio commu- the radio community. Yeah, because last week when we were recording our podcast, it was Friday, uh, you know, probably about 12 hours before the fire broke out, before the tragedy. And then we, That's we, right. we released that podcast um, the, the weekend after. And it was uh, – so that was a significant uh, timing – because we, you know, you were talking about Kachung. We were talking about Kachung, an underground music community in Los Angeles. And in that episode, uh, we were celebrating the underground music community in Oakland uh, because there was a sister station of Kachung. That right. Was, um, and so I, I was thinking about that explicitly while doing the edit since, you know, uh, none of the content of that episode uh, referenced the the fire or the tragedy and yet uh, so much of it overlapped that it was um it was poignant so yeah we have to mention yeah. it po- one podcast later that there are I a lot know. of connections yeah and it's eerie you know i i haven't been able to listen to that podcast yet because i see a lot of parallels um and and not that you know, it's not that it's an unsafe place, but just the funky nature of a lot of these places is right. where the parallel lies. And I'm imagining that people at K Chung have friends, you know, lost friends as well. So I, I think about that because, and that's an artist community at K Chung. So, you know, I've been afraid to even ask them, you know, how they're doing 
in light of this, since there are so many connections, um, since they have a lot of connections, I think with Oakland, you know, within their community at Kaichung. So it's, it's tough. Um, it, you know, it's been a, it's been a tough week learning more every day, you know, about friends of friends who died and it's, it's just very sad. Yeah. And I, and I really appreciate the, the post you put up on radio survivor, uh, about this because I think, um, it's, it's, it's such a large tragedy and event that there's, um, there's a huge amount of ways to approach the story. And, and so I'm glad that I, I, I appreciate Radio Survivor's contribution to celebrating the lives of the people who died and, uh, you know, thinking about it. It's also, yeah, it's, um, it's not the same as a community radio station, but it really is, uh, not a dissimilar, uh, culture, the universe of, of underground spaces and community gathering spaces. I mean, it's almost, they function in a, a physical way, the same way a, a community station does, especially, you know, a low power FM or a private station, like a place for people to gather who, uh, aren't necessarily, uh, always going to feel welcome at the more mainstream locations where people gather. Right. It's not, it's not the mall and it's not, uh, it's not, it's not the, the most prestigious venue in a city. It's, uh, it's somewhere else. And they're so necessary because, uh, cause people need spaces. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and some of it, Oh, and some of it's about just what it's like to go to a show, wherever that show might right. be. Um, and I think a lot of us in community radio or people who are passionate about music, um, we feel that same sense of familiarity and comfort when we go to a show, wherever that might be, whether it's in a, a club that's more like mainstream or whether it's in a space like the ghost ship. Um, you know, so this was a variety of people coming together to go to a show, um, and so they didn't necessarily all know each other. They didn't all necessarily know each other, but they were all in interconnected communities. Yeah. And I think, you know, another element that unites it all is that these are not strictly profit motivated enterprises. Community radio is not a profit motivated enterprise, it intends to be sustainable. But and, and, and of course, licensed community radio has to hew to many constraints and restrictions, which are sometimes problematic, which sometimes make it difficult for a station to stay sustainable and to stay on the air. Uh, not the least of which we see often with low power FM changes in uh, the structure of a board of directors, which may be only two or three people can constitute change of ownership. It's difficult to transfer to licenses to new organizations, which provides lots of road bumps. And we talked about with uh, Pete Tridish just a few weeks ago about urban areas can often have many restrictions with regard to zoning and getting uh, approvals uh, from different uh, city and municipal agencies for antennas and studios and things like this. Like these, there are these common challenges that exactly that, that go in the way of creating these spaces. And I think about so many, there's so many musics, many of which now are popular musics which were born from these underground spaces and not, and it's not just, uh, you know, sort of like punk rock. Um, but you know, certainly techno, 
I think hip hop in a lot of ways, and and it continues to be a challenge in many cities to right. find a space for local uh, R and B, local hip hop, or other local electronic musics, which are not going to bring in a crowd into a bar or an established club sufficient to make a profit, especially for local artists, right? Ones who do not have a national reputation, who are not touring through, who, who are not in a position to charge 20, 30, 40, $50 uh, per entrance fee, but maybe only for a door, you know, of a dollar or two going into a kitty. And this is a problem in lots of communities and cities and uh, which, which stands in the way of developing a local music scene of, of, of flourishing in a lot of ways that I think people don't think about. Um, and, and, and that parallel I think is, is, is quite, quite strong. And, Community radio stations are often a place where these connections come together, or college radio stations certainly, because of the same connections that that DJs and programmers have with artists, and in many cases, the DJs are artists because they yeah. are DJs elsewhere, or they are an artist in another, or they themselves are musicians, and it is and it is that fluidity and the ability again to have that open door in a lot of ways because the open door is not merely just the programmers, but is guests. It is the open door for someone to to hop on with just you know a guitar or or an instrument and pull up a mic and to be on air, in as much as it is you know to be to do a, a show regularly and to, and to be part of a show. So yeah, I think we're all we're all affected by this. I think throughout community and college radio and through arts and music communities you know around the country, if not probably around the world. Absolutely. Yeah, and so on the. Um on the positive, on the positive side, I think, uh, you know, being in radio, we have the opportunity to work through grief after things like this happen. And there've been some amazing radio tributes already. Um, there were so many musicians that, that were lost in the fire. And, and so, you know, DJs at Calyx, um, a DJ at KFJC last night have been doing shows where they've been playing, the work of a lot of these musicians. And so I think that that's a great way to kind of, you know, in part heal. Um, and, and to me, it also links back to, you know, it's been kind of, it's been a rough year for music. Right. And, 2016. And we've seen radio respond, you know, we had David Bowie and Prince dying this year and, and radio stations, um, and people took to the airwaves to celebrate their work. So I think, you know, for me as a DJ, um, it helps me tremendously to work. You know, if I'm dealing with something, I, I work through it in my show. Yeah. And, and you were talking about that when, uh, when we were discussing uh, Prince dying and how uh, somebody had written a blog post, I believe. Maybe it was a Facebook uh where they had written about the the power of listening to his music at the same time to other listeners and the since you know since it's not a private relationship how we feel about some, an artist like prince it's a public we share this with with many other people so so when we so when we lose that person to be able to to celebrate their life um you know, collectively, not not individually, not one at a time, but all the listeners together, sort of ties in with the uh, with Matthew Lassar's book 
that we discussed at the beginning of the year, Radio 2.0, about the the power of audiences versus um, the Walkmanification. The individualization. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's the great thing about radio. Um, a few weeks ago, Pauline Oliveros died, which yes. I was really sad to hear about. And and so on my KFJC show, I played a bunch of her stuff, and it it was it made it was great because her music is amazing, and um, and and she was such a pioneer. So like listening to her music across the decades and different collaborations, so it felt really good and therapeutic, but it also made me feel really sad at the same time at the loss um, and made me want to listen to more of her music on an ongoing basis. So I, radio is amazing. Um, and I mean, this is back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, for both the DJ and for the listener in these times, um, in times of sorrow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I have one more thing to share. Uh, that stands out for me this year. And it's a story that we haven't, that we talked about quite a bit at the beginning of the year and haven't since then, because unfortunately nothing has changed <laughs> since the last time we talked about it. And what that story is, the story is, is there is no story. Yeah, the story is there is no story. It's about internet radio. And what happened at the beginning of the year is there was a massive change in the royalty structure that an internet radio station has to pay in order to play recorded music you know, that is basically covered under copyright, which is almost all recorded music. And the short story is that rate went way up for any station that is not currently a non-commercial broadcast station. It caused a huge shakeup in the uh, industry. Enormous shakeup in internet radio. So if you have a low power FM station, college station, community station, public station, the rates that you pay have been negotiated and settled upon by organizations like the National Federation of Community Broadcasters. Would that apply to Kachung, too? It would not apply to Kachung. Because um, Kachung's a part 15 AM to, radio station, to, unlicensed. It, it specifically applies to licensed stations or in the case of college or, or stations owned by a uh, actual uh, educational institution. Mm, okay. So a high school, if you had a high school uh, – internet radio station, a college internet radio station, they also enjoy coverage under this. Okay. But if you just want to start your own online station. As so many people have. Because it, in, the, because in the past it has been comparatively inexpensive to do so, um, the licensing costs went way up. Basically there was what amounted to a kind of an exception for small operators without a lot of listeners um, and without much money coming in that really are effectively not-for-profit, even if they're not officially incorporated as not-for-profits. Um, and so you could kind of operate along and you pay a few bucks or whatever, you know, every month to pay these royalties, which are necess- which are required by law. And you could, you could broadcast your station dedicated to whatever you want to. Well, those went way up. Um, and what that meant is a lot of people could no longer broadcast. And there was a lot of hope that perhaps um, either the uh, Copyright Royalty Board, which is a, uh, a board that's part of the Library of Congress, which is in charge of settling these rates, would make a change, and they did not. In the past, when this has happened, um, it was actually an act of Congress that came through 
and uh, provided this exception to right. to about the a small webcasters. Ago, things got shook up. Is similar. Yeah, and that's what happened. It did not happen this year. Right. So webcasters have had the choice of either finding ways to limit how many listeners they have really so that they can limit how much it costs because it does cost per listener per song. Mm-hmm. So if you have 10 listeners that hear one song, you it's 10x. If it's 100 listeners to one song, it's 100x. Um, or, you know, pay more or, and this is an option, I'm not, and I don't know how many people have taken it, to simply continue and not pay the royalties. Because the interesting thing is it's not that someone sends you a bill in the mail. Right. <laughs> it is you actually are supposed – it's self-elected. So we we did we did like I think two or three episodes covering yeah. this. Uh, basically the first two or three episodes of Radio Survivor in 2016. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a whole 12 months later – it's the exact same. So not, it hasn't moved. The needle hasn't moved. Nothing has changed. I, you know, and Except so, for some people have clearly shut down their stations. Some people have clearly big. shut down their stations. We don't know how many. Yeah. It's a very difficult thing to track. Um, there is this company called Radionomy, which is an online radio provider. Already my head is swimming because we right. never really did. Well, we did talk about it. We, no, I know we talked about it, but we never got... We never got clear on right. Radionomy. Well, and, and it still is not clear. So yeah. Radionomy... Um, is a company that provides the service to you as a as an internet station to broadcast. Do we, do you care where Radionomy is located? About when when you tell this story, uh, Radionomy it, is located in Europe. Yeah, that doesn't that matter. Well, but they're owned by Vivendi, which is a multinational media conglomerate. It's French, which also owns record labels, mm-hmm. Universal Music Group being one of them. Um. And it gets thick because Radionomy currently offers to uh, to people the opportunity to set up a station. It's a little life raft for, the, for free. For the hopeful. They offer you the opportunity to set up a station for free. The only requirement is that you have so many listeners. So actually they have a they have a floor rather than a maximum that you must have so many listeners in a month and they will continue to provide you this service. And the reason why is that there will be a small portion of your broadcast hour in which they will run ads. So basically, if your station can't attract enough people for those ads to make any money, then they don't want to have it. But in exchange for that, you uh, you get to broadcast for free. And, and actually, if you get enough listeners, you share in, in the proceeds. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like ads that run on YouTube in that way. The problem is that Radionomy was sued <laughs> earlier this year for non-payment of these exact royalties. And Radionomy says very clearly on their website, though I haven't checked recently, but it was true as of March of this year, that all your royalties are covered. So basically this was like the golden bullet, right? It was, it was, it was, it was the, 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 the road to heaven for an internet broadcaster and stairway actually to heaven, uh, that you could set up shop there, and if you got so many listeners a month, you'd never owe a dime. Except that it turns out that the royalties which Radionomy says they're covering may not be covered. It's this this story. One of the reasons we're talking about it today is because when we look at uh, stats for Radio Survivor, we know that this story uh, pulled in. Uh, more than the usual pairs of eyeballs and clicks. And uh, it's interesting because it really is sort of a different community than community radio. 
Well, or, because many of these stations, not all, many of them are sort of single operator stations. It's one, it's one guy. One person, you know, and then some That's of these stations one are- One guy a community not make. Are sort of, are, are more diverse, right? Uh, you know, where they may have multiple DJs. And like a friend of uh, Radio Survivor is Soma FM based out of San Francisco, right. which has multiple channels, multiple genres. Um, and I know they've been hit particularly hard. Randy, Rusty Hodge, I'm sorry, Rusty Hodge is the, is the operator of that station. And he, you know, it's not a for-profit operation. He does not run commercials. In fact, they survive entirely on donations, just like Radio Survivor. Um, and that one was more like a community station. Yeah. And so there yeah. are many stations that are caught in that bind, uh, which never, never had a need again. And we can sort of talk, it, it reflects on the conversation we just had, never had a need to sort of become official corporations or nonprofits, never had a need to organize beyond, Hey, let's make sure there's a show. Hey, let's make sure people are here because there's no license otherwise associated with internet radio station. Anyone can start one ostensibly. Uh, there's a very, very low barrier to entry, but now the music royalties provide this, uh, what has become an extreme cost associated with it, that it makes it very difficult to operate one as a sort of effective nonprofit without actually going out and becoming an actual nonprofit, a, an actual corporation, right, in your state. And I think the to get the better royalty rate, you actually have to be recognized as a charity. So it's a 501c3 nonprofit as recognized by the IRS. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot for of paperwork. That likes and it requires then that you also have a board of directors. So it can't just be like I'm I've already this given is up my station on my radio dreams. And, I'm not gonna found it. And I'm a nonprofit. Radio. No, you'll need a board of directors and you'll need to file paperwork, you'll need to file tax returns. I mean, it's it, it can no longer be sort of a hobby or, you know, you know, the equivalent of, again, artist space or something, which is sort of, uh, you know, serves multiple purposes. And it's unfortunate that, that nothing much has changed. And, 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 you know, really, I should, uh, at the beginning of this year coming up, I should go and see if I can't investigate and get a little bit more. 12 months have A passed. little bit more information. But to the, <laughs> you, but, just, you just looked a little bit tired but I honestly, thinking about it. And, I, and, and while this lawsuit was filed against, uh, against Radionomy, uh, back in March, uh, I know nothing of the progress. I've been uh, unable to discover anything of whether there's even been preliminary hearings or anything else going on uh, to know if uh, the major labels, uh, which are suing Radionomy, which also one of which co-owns Radionomy. So it's very weird. And they've been un wow. unable to, to untangle yeah. it. It still sits there, unfortunately, um, in, in kind of the... Uh, in kind of an unknown zone. I'm the thinking about zone. Charles Dickens' Bleak House. Yes, it, indeed. Is this the 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 mess? Well, let's. So we've we've talked about 2016 now, and I think looking forward to next year, Eric. You said you know you're looking forward to more international coverage, to hearing more about community radio around the world, as helped and facilitated by our our friend of the show, Sylvia Thomas. Yep. Um, I mean, certainly we're we're going to have to tackle what a Trump Federal Communications Commission looks like. I warned you. Um, and I hope that, uh, I think that uh, I Professor- tried, I tried to talk about this uh, back in the summer and Paul's like, not yet. And I was like, but what will a Trump FCC look like? And he said, not yet. So here it comes. Oh, yeah. there was, yes, so much denial. Yeah, well, it's not even, it wasn't even denial because it, it's, 
I mean, it would like, have been crazy to try to even think about what we would talk about. It would have been like predicting lottery numbers. Yeah, we still don't know. That's, I think it still is. Yeah. Well, we I mean, the short story is there's a high likelihood that one of the two current Republican yes. commissioners it, may be picked to lead. It will. Uh, it will resemble past Republican FCCs. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can assume this much. And while Trump has said, I mean, he says so many things trying to chart which of these things he means or which of these things document policy and which of these things are are the equivalent to to swearing at the poker table. We don't know. Uh, but he has said things along the lines. He doesn't even know why we need an FCC. And, and, and you know, while yeah, me neither. that makes all of us sort of you know, <laughs> our eyes bug out. The thing I have to point out is that. You may hear, you know, you may hear a lot of uh, libertarian leaning uh, media executives occasionally make comments like we don't need an FCC. But let me tell you, they want an FCC. The FCC is what we would call a captured regulator, meaning it mostly serves the interests of the industries it regulates and only occasionally right. does it is it actually an enforcer on them. <sighs> the mind They boggles. lobby heavily for the rules. They lobby heavily for changes in the rules. It is often uh, not just uh, – it's not the public interest versus industry, but it's very often company versus company, sector versus sector, sure. interests, competing interests within the same industry lobbying the FCC, which chooses winners and losers, often with consideration to the public interest, if not in abeyance to. But the last thing that an AT&T or a Comcast or any number of other uh, companies want right now is the complete abolition of an FCC. So I just want to put that out there. Crazier things could happen, of course, but I want to put that out there that we're probably looking, there's a good chance we're looking at a Commissioner Pai, Ajit Pai, or Commissioner Mike O'Reilly. Um, Christopher Terry, I hope, will join us yeah. uh, in next month to untangle some of this. Watcher. Maybe more will be known. Some more tea leaves that will have fallen to the bottom of, of the enormous Long Island iced tea we'll need to drink to get through this. Right. <laughs> well... Uh, tune in. Oh. Tune in next time, folks. Uh, is looking forward to next year, Jennifer. What uh, is there anything that you're hoping uh, that we'll be able to do on the podcast or at RadioSurvivor.com? Uh, well, I hope to do more station tours. Of course, I'm I'm still not caught up with my 2016 station tours, so I shouldn't even be allowed to be thinking about doing more. But um, that's always on my wish list. Um, and, and we didn't talk about. I spent a lot of time working on radio history this year. And I look forward to doing more of that in the coming year on the radio preservation task force. And another conference is slated for next year. So that will be exciting. And I will, as always bring back those reports. Um, I always have a dream of, of covering more radio art. Mm. So maybe this will be the year when I kind of, um, actually do that. Um, you know, there's some people I've wanted to bring on the podcast to talk about radio art and, and, and maybe with some of our fears about the loss of, of art and, um, the need to protect art and celebrate art. Maybe we need to bring more radio artists onto the podcast Please as well. Do. Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Let's do that. And, uh, We'd love to hear what you, as a listener, would like us to cover. Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And as we wrap up this year, a lot of people tend to look at where 
Uh, they might be able to send some of their money uh, to help uh, make the world maybe a little tiny bit better. And I hope that we're contributing in some way, shape, or form to to community radio, podcasting, internet radio, and uh, democratic forms of communication. So we hope you'll consider Radio Survivor in those plans. Um, you can make it real simple and pledge a regular amount every month at our at our Patreon fundraiser uh, patreon.com slash radio survivor and that's you could send a dollar two five ten dollars every month and it just helps us predict and no expenses and maybe help send jennifer on more journeys to more interesting places and cover more interesting radio events um or if you just want if you have a one time you find you've got a little extra money uh this year we would be glad to take your one time uh, donation at radiosurvivor.com slash support yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening uh, in 2016. Uh, see you next year. And happy holidays. Oh, and happy holidays. And a happy new year. <laughs>